Before we begin, we wanted to give you guys a heads up because some of the stories that we tell here uh, can be kind of graphic in detail. So you have little ears around. You might want to preview this before or just skip it and go to one of our other excellent podcasts. And uh, yeah, this is Peaceful Tragedy Part 2. So if you haven't listened to Part 1, you might want to go back and hear that one first. It's excellent. (laughs) I don't notice it, any of them, much anymore. Until someone does point it out, but that's not very often, unless it's a kid. But um, I lost three fingers on my right hand um, due to the accident and have a really bad scar on my right arm. It's a bad abrasion um, initially, and so it's healed over, but it's definitely left a scar on a majority of my arm from my elbow down to my wrist. And then I lost my hair in the accident, so I have a scar that goes across my face and only one eyebrow because the scar goes across where the eyebrow used to be. Um, and so that's probably the most obvious ones. But like I said, like I wear a wig, so most people don't notice. But then if you come on to the hall in college or you come into my room, like it's normal for me not to be wearing it. I don't have an ear on the right side, an outer ear. Um, and so I can still hear on that side, but people can't... Um, but, like, if you're standing on my right side and you're talking to me, I don't always hear you right away because there's nothing to catch sound. Um, so that one, like, when I'm in a big crowd of people, it's really hard for me to hear sometimes or to really focus because I can't, I don't have that full um, hearing. And then I've got, like, a few little scars. I have scars on my legs from skin grafts. And so, like, in the summertime when I wear shorts, um, you can still see them, but they faded a lot over the last couple years. I have a scar on my foot from where they took a vein out of my foot. Um, trying to attach it to my head so that way I could get blood flow initially um, the first night after the accident. So a lot of a lot of them are just little scars, but there's a few bigger things that stand out if people are paying attention. Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Okay, so if you listen to part one, you got to hear Katie's story from the perspective of her mom, dad, and brother. And this week, we're going to bring you Katie herself, kind of giving her perspective on this tragedy. So in the beginning there, that was her describing sort of uh, her current Um, injuries and scars and sort of the results of this tragedy. So we want to begin by going all the way back and starting when Katie is just a small girl and kind of telling her story from her first person narrative. So So I grew up in a Christian home um, on a farm in North Carolina and we worked all the time. It was not really chores. It was just you were part of the family so you helped out. We never had allowance or anything like that. You just went and did what Dad said. Um, We were also homeschooled. I have two brothers. One's older and one's younger. Um, So we just did everything together. We did school together from 8 to 12 every day. And then when school's over, you went outside and you helped Dad on the farm. If you didn't finish homework in the morning, you would do it when you got off work in the evening because it was just a family business. So I'd been doing it my entire life. Um, One of my favorite memories from when I was little was going to bed and hearing my dad walk around the house and he would pray over the house and pray over each of the kids and pray for our futures and pray for 
our the next day um, and that we would sleep well. And so I just every day I would wait for my dad to walk through the house so I could fall asleep to hearing him pray for the family. In many ways, you think uh, Katie's upbringing is pretty average for a farm girl, I guess. Um, I just imagine, you know, like these farmers that have like a ton of kids because they got to get the work done. Um, and that, that really is, sounds like, you know, kind of Katie's life. Obviously she doesn't have many brothers and sisters, but you know, they're a part of the family and doing the work. Yeah. I think people that don't grow up on the farm tend to idealize it. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, it'd be great to have a farm, you know, we had this conversation, right? Because like our, our wives are kind of like that. They're like, they want lots of land. And I'm just thinking, you know how much work that's going to take, you know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a lot of work. Yeah. So, you know, and she, the way she describes her family, it's that consistent theme of prayer, too, right? She's looking back. She remembers her father walking through the house praying. And that was a theme that we saw in part one. And it's also something that has really characterized Katie's life as an adult, just a life filled with prayer. But even as a child, like really early on, she never really felt like she fit in. Even though she was at a charismatic church where you would think like everybody's a little bit quirky, Katie still felt a little bit out of place. In the charismatic church, I was the oddball out. And you can just imagine what that's like. Because um, even though we were, everybody was normal with praying in tongues and revivals that would happen and healings and stuff like that, I was the one to jump in like, and want to be praying for people and want to see um, people healed or like, yeah, let's go pray for this random person on the street. Just because that's what I enjoyed doing where all my friends... Yeah, their parents did that, but that was not something that they took part in. They just kind of sat in the church and went through services and then go home. Um, but God started working in my life really, really early. Um, I definitely wasn't normal. How old is she at this point? Uh, she's actually a pretty young girl. She grew up in the church the way she describes it. It's like the doors were open. They were there. You know, there were times where there would be revival. They would go every night. They would stay till like 1 a.m. Her father was a deacon. So she was kind of one of those kids that grew up in the church. But the way she describes herself, it's not like normal, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She doesn't hate it. Like, you know, being forced to stay at church like every night or whatever, I think it would drive people crazy. But she is just like all about it. Yeah, and one of the things that happens is she begins to have these sort of uh, charismatic experiences, even at a very young age. Um, when I was eight, I had my first vision. I was at the back of our church, and um, everybody in the church was crying, and there were chandeliers. There was eight chandeliers, four on either side of the church, and they were lit up. Um, but it was kind of like a dull light, and then whenever the and then all and there was water pots all around the room that were filled with water and then as the chandeliers at one point the chandeliers all fell and when they hit the ground the whole room filled with a brighter light and then everybody went from weeping to crying or from weeping to laughing and then they began to go and get water out of the water pots and more people started coming in and I told my dad about it, and my dad's a prophet, and he's like, do you know what that is? And I was like, well, I thought it could be a vision, but I don't know, And because I was eight years old, so I'd heard about these things, but hadn't really experienced much. And so it kind of started there. Um, I had received the gift of speaking in tongues when I was 11, and I've done it ever since. Trevor, hearing this, I know that you're going to have to give one of your explanations of the, about the Pentecostal church and what it's like. Well, I think we tend to hear things like this and we immediately become skeptics, 
right? Yeah. When she says something along the lines of, you know, my dad is a prophet and she had a vision when she was eight, immediately there's a part of your brain that says, uh, no, that probably didn't happen <laughs> yeah. because we don't tend to re- really live in this world. Yeah, right. But, I mean, I will say that I know Katie. Um, you know, I've spent time with her. She's come to our home. We're, we're good friends. Our, our family is good friends with her. We, we love her dearly. And both my wife and I were, you know, did become Christians at a kind of radical Pentecostal revival back in the late 90s called the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida. So let me just say from my perspective, <laughs> when I look back, I... I still don't have categories for some of the things that I saw. I don't know where to place some of the things that I saw. And when she describes her vision, that is very much in line with some of the things that were happening back at this Pentecostal revival that I was involved in when I was 17 years old. So I, I don't look back and think, oh, come on. I look back with a bit of like, huh, it does seem like God does things to kind of smash our paradigms and get us out of our comfort zone and recognize that he's not bound by the ways in which we believe the world should work. Exactly. And and just in case you think this is all Katie, she works on the farm and she just goes to the church in the evening and has visions. Uh, there's a lot more to Katie than meets the eye. I have two brothers, no sisters. I have co- all my cousins that are within three years of my age on both sides are boys. And so I just grew up with the boys all the time when just did things with the boys. Um, and a lot of my friends were boys because it was my brother's friends. So fishing, hiking, hunting, you name it, I did it, except shopping and nails. This things I just did not do. I hated trying on clothes. I'd prefer mom to buy them and bring them home and I'd wear them. Like, I could care less. Going to church was the only time I got dressed up because my dad required, like, you're a lady, you wear a dress or a skirt to church, you don't wear jeans. And so that was the only time I actually did something really girly. Other than that, I was like... I'll go help my dad fix the car. I'll get my hands covered in grease. I'll dig a hole. Um, uh, we have horses, and so I'd go jump on the horses and horseback ride, or we'd have to do something in the pond, so I would be the first person to jump in and go to the bottom and pull the nasty moss off the ground or off the bottom of the pond. <laughs> like I was just all-out tomboy. So it was my favorite thing to do was be outside and getting my hands dirty in the ground and doing something with earth and making something grow. Uh, you know, I kind of want her to meet my son. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously she's much older than my son, but uh, he's he would love a woman that's just like, you know, like all about getting dirty and being in the woods and all that kind of stuff. Well, what I think is great is that she is a very grounded person because when you tend to think of a charismatic, um, somebody operating out of the Pentecostal church, you usually only get sort of characterizations of those people and they end up coming off as a little bit flighty yeah um katie's not that way yeah you know she's she loves the earth she loves to be rough and tumble you know she's just a you know she's a tomboy that's how she describes herself but you know aside from that she she also would look back at her life and say that god has been doing kind of strange and unusual things from her earliest memories she feels like she could see things that nobody else could see she started to see that she had spiritual giftings at a very young age and when she's about 13 years old this is a year before her accident she kind of has this experience where she begins thinking about what would it be like if i endured a really difficult tragedy Now, take it, this is a year before the tragedy happens. Her grandfather gets sick with cancer. She begins to wonder, what would it be like if I lost all my hair? 
you know, she's getting to an age where she's more interested in her looks, and she begins to think, well, what would happen if something happened to me physically? How would I feel about that? How would I deal with it? And so for six months, I struggled with this and never told anybody because I just didn't want to worry my parents, and I felt like it was kind of an irrational thing to think about, but I still, um, I still struggled with it on... New Year's Eve, I took our dog out for a walk and was praying while I was walking the dog. And I said, all right, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. And then 31 days later on January 31st, 2009, my accident happened. Uh, So the thought that's kind of running through my head is even if the Lord gave me this premonition, I don't know if I'd be okay with it. I mean, like, it's just it's crazy like how difficult uh the situation you know that she finds herself in and even though the lord's kind of preparing her as she says uh for six months prior to that and getting her heart ready uh it's gotta still be this incredibly difficult thing to deal with it was right after lunch my cousin and i went back out to the field to keep working we were really excited it was the last field that we had to do we were tired of doing this job And it was a beautiful day, so we were like, surely we can get this done by 4 o'clock and then have the evening to just do whatever we want to do. So we were out there for a couple hours and making good progress. I was holding the machine, and we decided to go, okay, we're going to dig this next hole. So he turned it on and began to dig the hole. I was looking around, admiring the day, looked at the sky, and I just remember thinking how nice it was. And I'd taken my right hand off the machine to scratch my head. And then I went to put my right hand back on the machine. But I wasn't looking. And in that moment, I put my hand too low. And so instead of putting my hand on the bar that held the machine steady, I put my hand down where the PTO shaft is turning to turn the drill bit. And so it was actually the piece that connects the back of the tractor that I got my glove caught on not the drill bit itself um and there's a guard on this whole thing to keep people from getting caught but at the end there were two screws to hold the piece together and the screws happened to catch the sleeve of my jacket um so first instinct was to reach out with my left arm and pull back um but so then it grabbed my left arm as well and the machine flipped me over twice um, between the PTO shaft and the two bars above it. And first thought that went through my mind was, this is it, I'm dead. Um, I knew the dangers of working with this machine, so I thought my life was over. And in that moment, God spoke to me and said, no, you're not, because I'm not done with you yet. And as soon as he said that, I, the machine stopped and complete peace came over me. And I remember seeing something like demons fleeing away and all of a sudden it was just a total peace over everything um both my arms at this point were wrapped around the machine um broken in many places and I couldn't I just remember I was a little dizzy at that point but just sitting there and my cousin took off running and to get my parents who had been in the field next door with my younger brother um and so as they're coming over, I'm just kind of sitting there waiting, and I just began to speak in tongues because that was the first instinct, like, first reaction I had. I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, 
the machine had ripped my clothes and I didn't know what had I didn't I couldn't see myself but I knew that my hair had been taken like my hair was gone and I think the year before leading up to my accident had prepared me for something like this because I remember I could see my arms and I could see my hand and that I lost a couple fingers on my right hand and so like I was like okay it happened and I accepted it Um, so my mom comes over and I remember she took up the, we had a random box on the side of the field and she put a box of sweet potatoes underneath me so that I had something to sit on because I was lower, closer to the ground, but I wasn't on the ground. Um, so I was sitting on this box and my dad is pacing nearby, just praying as loud as he can. We're waiting on the ambulance to get there. And then in the next minute, there's a ton of people there because the neighbor happened to be a first responder so he was the first person on the scene um, just trying to help make sure that I was okay and to stop any bleeding if there was which shockingly there was no blood at all Um, with the extent of injuries I had you there should have been blood everywhere but my dad said you could hold the amount of blood in the palm of your hand because it was just not there And so my dad's praying, my mom's talking to me, you know, it's going to be okay. She's praying, I'm praying. Then my little brother walks over and he's distressed because he's 11 at the time. And he's really worried. And and I tell him, I said, Jacob, I'm going to be fine. And he says, no, you're not. He's like, you're not fine. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm going to be fine. Now go sit in the truck. And so we're arguing back and forth in the middle of this. And then he goes and goes and sits in the truck. And I'm just waiting on the paramedics to get there. And so as long as I was praying, I was fine. But the instant I stopped praying, I would start having extreme pain through my arms and in my head. And so then I would just go back into praying. And then I would go back to being having no pain at all and calm and just waiting on the paramedics so the EMS shows up they untangle my arms from the machine and had to like cut my clothes off in the process because it was all tangled up and um, so I shattered from my elbow down on my right arm and lost the three fingers on my right arm broke the bone in my left upper right arm um, and then I fractured a bone in my left arm and bent another bone in my left arm and then I lost the tip of my left left thumb um, and then I lost all my hair so I was pretty much scalped there was nothing left on my head except bone all the meat was gone um, so it was really extensive and once we got to the hospital I remember the them taking me off the um, off the helicopter and taking me to the ER and I could see the sky as I was going in and it was the bluest sky with some really crisp white clouds and I remember God was like I made that for you and like to this day is for you and then I went to the ER and they put a gas mask on me and then that's the last thing I remembered until I woke up about two weeks later. All right so those of you who listened to episode one you recall that Katie's parents were just overwhelmed with the outpouring of support from the farming community, from people sending in money to help with medical bills, 
from cards coming from all around the world. I mean, thousands of cards. But the reality is this recovery process that Katie's about to endure is incredibly difficult. But she still maintains a real sense of high spirits. And you can't help but really love her personality and see how God is working through this difficult time. And it's not just the physical aspect. I mean, sure, she has all these surgeries that she has to go through, but there's this huge emotional toll that she has to deal with. I think there was one point about halfway through where it hit me that I would never be able, I would possibly never have the opportunity to brush my hair again. And being going into my teenage years, that was a huge deal. Being a girl, you curled your hair with your best friends, you... Um, went to the hair salon to get a haircut and you tried new hairstyles and so I just remember one day I wanted to brush my hair and I, there my mom's brush had been sitting nearby and I just broke because I was like that might never be a possibility again going through high school and then early college it was really hard because I was like what are the guys going to think like Am I not as pretty as the other girls because I have a lot of scars? Am I, do I, like, do I need to dress better to cover up for, like, the other things? Um, like, I do different hairstyles sometimes, so then I'll be like, oh, well, did some guy like that hairstyle better? Now that I switched, he's not going to like me anymore. Or just, like, things like that. But the more, like, within the last year, I've become a lot more comfortable in who I am and how God sees me, and kind of, it sounds conceited, but like, if the guy is the one that God has meant to be my future spouse, then he's going to be, then he's going to love me for who I am, and he's going to see that all that God has done, and all that God's allowed me to be a part of, and he's going to cherish that rather than have a problem with it, and so there are still days that I'm like, oh, I wish, like, I didn't have this scar or something. Or that I wasn't always quirky, but in the end, like, I'm really content with who I am and with who I've come to be in the Lord. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And because of what God's already done through my story, I'm like, if the guy is going to be attracted, like, if he's interested in me, he's got to take the whole package deal. Bumps, bruises, scars, quirkiness, all of it. (laughs) Man, I really appreciate how vulnerable she was in that moment. Yeah, I think seeing her being content with who she is, where she is, who and how God sees her, that's incredibly difficult for people to be able to do. And she's, you know, she's not, she wouldn't be to say she's all the way there, but she's on that journey, right? Like she's learning to be okay with who she is. Right. And she's naming it and sharing it with the Lord, you know, and uh, I know others around her her closest friends and just processing through this whole thing. And I I think Katie would be one of the first to stress that it is a process because some of the effects of the accident, they didn't go away right away. And some of them she's still struggling with. Flashbacks are real. (laughs) They've gotten less over the years. Um, The first couple years, they happen fairly regularly, especially when January 31st would roll back around again. It happened more often. As time has gone on, they've gotten less. Um, I think it's been close to a year now since I've had the last one. 
Um, I still have sometimes sounds will come back into my head of things that happened or I'll smell something that smells like the hospital or something and it'll bring back memories. But a full out flashback hasn't happened in quite a while. Um, I've had a couple, my friends at school have been really supportive. There's been many times I've sat on my friend's bed or their couch while a flashback happens. It pretty much, it's a PTSD moment where I become numb. You can't talk to me because I'm not going to respond. And I just kind of go fully into myself and just kind of relive it. And it used to, sometimes it would last for five minutes. The longest one I think lasted for several hours. And then when I come out of it, I'm so exhausted, I just sleep. And so they usually happen in the at night when I'm tired. Um, and so there could be a scream on the TV in the next room, or there could be a smell that I would smell, and it would just kind of bring things back. But they have gotten a lot less, and it's been, uh, yeah, almost a year since the last one. So I'm not afraid of them anymore. I used to be terrified of, like, oh, when's the next one going to happen but now, I'm. It doesn't scare me because it's something that I've dealt with. The Lord has used in so many ways. It's pretty intense when you think about it, Howard. Like, it could be a smell or a scream, a sound. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds, you know, like she said, PTSD and some of the things I've seen from people that are coming back from traumatic, uh, war torn countries and, you know, effects of war. This was a traumatic situation for her. Right, and she still lives at that farm. And her family still owns the tractor, though she says it's parked at her uncle's farm and behind a shed, and her and her mother say, no way, nobody is using this tractor and this auger to dig any more holes. So now they dig their holes by shovel. I've had people ask me in the past, if you could go back to that day and change it and do something different, would you? And my answer ever since the beginning has been no because I've seen how God has used what happened to me to retouch a lot of other people who girls who have gone through chemotherapy and have lost their hair I can relate with them and kind of help them work through that and I've met kids who have lost a limb or who have were born without limbs and they've always felt like the oddball out and I've been able to kind of minister to them and kind of be on their level in a way that not everybody else can. And so God's used it in too many places for me to have changed it. It's hard to imagine anybody coming through a crisis like that. And when asked if they could change it, would they? And they would reply, no. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's not like she's saying, I wouldn't change it because it's been great and it wasn't so bad. She's saying, I wouldn't change it because... It has impacted so many people's lives. That's incredibly self-aware. Yeah, I, I think about it in terms of, like, really, just like what you said, Trevor, uh, she's being used by the Lord, and that's important. She knows that her story is being used by, uh, by the Lord, and I'm just thinking to myself, do I want to be used by the Lord to the degree where I would sacrifice so much? So I had a colleague that once said, I've always prayed that God would never esteem me as much as he does Job. And what she meant by that was, I hope that the Lord never esteems me so much and sees my faith so great that he would allow me to go through something so difficult. And that's how I see this young lady. 
All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. So here we are seven years after the accident. And Katie is graduating today with her bachelor's degree. She's getting her bachelor's degree in intercultural studies. And part of that degree, she spent six weeks living overseas. And she lived in the country Bangladesh. And while she was there, she got to do some amazing things. Doors were opened for her because of this tragedy that would have never been opened for me or you, Howard. Um, In Bangladesh, I got to go to a rehab center for the paralyzed and share my story with the people there and it was really humbling but at the same time it was really cool to be in a room full of Muslims who were all in going through rehab and to be able to say you know I've been in your place and I know it's not easy at all and I cried a little bit through sharing my story with them and they were all crying and just because I was Christian and they were Muslim, we weren't any different. We were all humans that were living through difficult circumstances, but that we all had hope that we would, when we got better, we could continue on with life. And so it, God's given me too many cool experiences. You know what I love about that moment is that she's talking about in terms of hope, not look at this tragedy that's happened to us and there's nothing left. It's that the, there's the hope to continue to live on and to live well. Yeah, it's the hope that draws them together. And they've gone through this situation, kind of like you said, we don't you know, have that connection with, uh, you know, per se, these people. Um, but you kind of see the Lord's hand in it, like just the doors that have opened just because, um, she, you know, her story takes her through that route of extreme suffering. And it helps her to connect with these people on such a deep level from the very get-go. Yeah, and for them to see her travel all the way from the United States just to be able to spend time with them and be an encouragement and be a hope to them, it was incredible. And it's not just in Bangladesh that she makes a deep impact. Um, It actually happens also in her home state. Right, so Katie's experience in Bangladesh and working with Muslims there has had a huge impact in her own family, her own church, and particularly in her mom's life. Because of Katie's exposure to the Muslim community and her sharing with us kind of the inside of who these people are, especially the women, um, when the Muslim customers come up, I just greet them and treat them like any of my other customers. And other vendors will come up to me and say, I wouldn't wait on them. They're the ones that blew up the world, you know. And But I see past that. You know, I might have had a little more of stigma um, had I not been kind of educated, perhaps, from Katie's point of view and, and how she, her heart is with, especially the Muslim women. Uh, and I just see the person, you know. I, I see, I've really come to appreciate them, and, and they become loyal customers. And, and I hope that just, in a way, just my treating them with kindness may cause them to come for more, you know, and maybe one day I'll be able to share, you know, Christ with them, so. When I think about that story, I just think about it in terms of, this is like exactly what Trevor and I want to see happen. Yeah. Like, 
you take some you know an ordinary person uh, that might have you know these deep-seated feelings um, against Muslims and then to to see them as human beings right and I think what she said earlier in the podcast Katie when she said you know I see these people as people first who happen to be Muslim like she doesn't define them by like their religion as though like they're all the same because they believe you know in Islam she sees them as people and her mom has carried that on and says you know I just see them as people and you see these sort of stereotypes in these generalizations just kind of falling by the wayside and I love how Katie is able to um, put the pieces of her life together in this cohesive uh, idea that God is in control of everything. Yeah, she does it through a metaphor. It's pretty neat. As I've grown up when I was little, the borders of the puzzle were slowly formed because you, most people, when they do a puzzle, they do the border first, and then they work from there. And so as life has gone on, different parts of the puzzle have been put together, but they don't really make sense because you can't see the full picture. And I don't have a box to look at of the complete product. I just kind of see as the pieces slowly fit together. But then I know that the maker of that puzzle knows what the final product is going to be and knows what the picture... And there's a lot of time and sometimes frustration and there can be pain that goes into putting a puzzle together. But in the end, it brings about a really beautiful picture. And so when there's things that I don't understand why this is happening or why I'm going through another hardship that I feel like I shouldn't be. I remind myself that it's just another piece of that puzzle that's slowly coming together and I want to work through this puzzle well so that way in the end when I'm older I can look back on my life and see the picture that has been made and hopefully how that puzzle is like my life completed is one puzzle piece in a bigger puzzle that is the story of humanity and how life kind of fits together I'll be honest I never thought of life that way yeah, and it's pretty remarkable uh, that she was thinking about these things, you know, from the accident on to this point, that she's actually processed through this and come out in such a healthy perspective. Right, but there is one aspect of the puzzle that she's still struggling with to this day. Probably the hardest part of this entire thing was my cousin who was on the tractor when it happened. He watched it happen. He saved my life. He turned the machine off. He was... A believer at the time and was kind of he had been away from the Lord was coming back to the Lord for a little bit he walked with me through the whole thing of rehab he was at the hospital as much as possible he was at my house but then once I started kind of recovering and doing things on my own again he disappeared and didn't talk to him much didn't see him much and now he's completely walked away from the Lord so why my story is so much different than his and why so much thing like so many people came to know the Lord through hearing my story and saw like were there right after it happened and you know gave the Lord praise for what happened and why he was there just as much as anybody else and walked away I have no idea I pray for him now every day um I would love to see him come to and have the joy that I do I know that he's had PTSD moments like I have because he watched it happen he didn't just 
he wasn't there right after, but he was there with me through the whole thing. And so I know that he's lived through that and he hasn't fared as well. And so why it works out for some people in some ways and different for others, I don't know. But I have to leave that in the Lord's hands. Okay, so Howard and I went back and forth on this last clip. It's really tempting to just always talk about like the positive things, right? Just say how much God is using this event and how much God has brought Katie through and she's had such an impact on so many people's lives. And when she shared this part about her cousin, it just made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Yeah, we're so used to testimonies being like wrapped up in a little bow. Um, But the reality of this story, I think, is that there always has to be trust. Trust in the Lord that he will do um, his will. And I think that's a beautiful thing because, you know, we could, you know, wrap everything up in a bow, but kind of look at it and be like, you know what? We know that life's not really like that, but we kind of want to listen to a story that's like that. Uh, But I think this is far more powerful. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a fairy tale. It just needs to be reality. And reality is one of the tragedies as a result of this tragedy is her cousin walks away from the Lord. And that's something that Katie is still struggling with today. Like she said, she doesn't have a reason. She doesn't know how to explain it. But she puts her trust in the Lord that he knows what he's doing and the work that he's doing in her cousin's life. And so I'm drawn back to that puzzle metaphor that she gave right? We don't see the whole picture. We only have so many pieces to work with, and we don't even get to see a box. It really is a powerful metaphor, and so we don't know what God's doing in the life of her cousin, and we shouldn't presume. We just know that he's there, and he's working, and that he has a plan, and that we're a part of it. So all that to say, guys, I really hope that you enjoyed getting to hear Katie's story. I hope that her story has been an encouragement to you. I hope that it makes you sort of uh, think differently than you had before you listened to this story because knowing Katie has made me think differently in a lot of ways. And so that's why I wanted you guys to hear this story. And uh, Trevor really pushed for this, but we're going to put a little bit of, uh, you know, the stuff that we didn't use. The outtakes. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a different aspect of her personality. Yeah, because she's really funny. And and it was like, I don't know where we can put this really funny part <laughs> right, in the cause... middle of this really serious show. So I was like, <laughs> do we have to do outtakes with Katie? But before we get to that, we just want to remind you guys to uh, like our Facebook page. Uh, also, send us emails. Uh, Trevor and I have this account. It's called Trevor. Trevor and Howard at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, we haven't checked it. It's a really good original name, Trevor and Howard. Just remember that Trevor's first and I'm second, Trevor and Howard at gmail.com. And we want to hear what you guys have to say and what you guys think. Oh, yeah. And continue to like us on iTunes. Uh, rate the show. Unless you really don't like the show, then just don't rate the show. And <laughs> Stay away from Leave iTunes. us a review. If you've got lots of time, leave us a review. Otherwise, you just got to hit that five-star button. You don't even have to leave a review. Just hit the five stars. But we, like, we love reading the reviews. Uh, they bless my heart. Yeah, they are super encouraging. So yeah. thanks, guys. And we are going to send our Muslim Christians and zombie apocalypse coffee mugs to random reviewers. Right. So keep order writing reviews. All right? Yeah? Okay. Here's the outtakes. (laughs) Through high school, the most common one is I got into a fight with a bear, and he may have taken a few fingers, but I ripped his heart out so we're even, and he's dead, and, like, I don't have to worry about him coming back. (laughs) Or, like, different things like that. Like, my brothers would come up with random things, and, or I'd, like, 
little kids would be like, so what happened to you? And I was like, I don't know. What do you think happened? And they were like, I bet you it was like this. And they come up with this whole elaborate story. And I was like, sure, that works. And I would always go back and tell them the real story later. But like, we would always come up with random stories. So you know when a lot of times people are playing around, they get the butt of a knife and their hand is flat on the table and they like do the thing where they're putting the knife between each finger? I was with some friends at a restaurant one day. There's five of us sitting at the table at this restaurant and we were all joking around and having a good time. We just got there. We're waiting on our food and two of my friends are joking around and I didn't know them super well. Like I had been friends with them for about a month or two, but we weren't like really close yet. And they're doing the knife thing where they're like joking around. And I was, so <laughs> I took my hand from my lap and put it up on the table. I was like, you know, the last time I did that, and it was my right hand, <laughs> which I don't have three fingers on that hand. And they both kind of looked at me. And then all five of us just lost it. And we died laughing. And we laughed for like half an hour. And the waitress thought we were drunk at first because she couldn't figure out why we were laughing so hard. But then we were like, no, we're not. We're just, we're laughing about a joke. And that was probably one of the biggest bonding moments for me and those couple of friends, but it was, to this day, we look back and laugh about that because it's just one of the jokes that I pulled. So I've done a lot of things like that, but that was one of my favorites. 